My name is Kurt McDonald. I'm one of the pastors at Gospel Community Church. I want to talk with you today about the Training Day podcast. That's right, the Training Day podcast. The Training Day podcast exists to continue your learning so that you can be equipped for every good work in every day life. Our hope with the Training Day podcast is to create a resource library for you, your friends, your family, uh, whether you've been a believer for many years, new to the faith, or not a Christian at all. We're hoping that this will be a resource library for you so that you can learn what it looks like to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and land it in everyday life. So we want you to subscribe to our podcast. Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find us there on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever. You can also find us on our YouTube channel, The Training Day Podcast, or our website, trainingdaypod.com. So please go subscribe and let's grow together in Christ. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. to you, God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he add his blessing to it. Uh, Well, frankly, I'm surprised that uh, you guys are back um, after the sermon last week. Um, (laughs) So uh, you guys know that we're doing round two on the same text, right? You you know what you're getting yourself into. Okay, very good. Um, Actually, I'm I'm not surprised. I know Gospel Community Church is, is filled with people of the book. Amen. And so when we come upon texts like this uh, that are confusing, that are difficult, uh, we don't shy away from them, rather we lean into them uh, because uh, just as uh, Miss Dovey said, there is treasures here for us, amen? There's treasures in the Word of God. And so we are looking at a very uh, difficult text to understand. I mean, as, as a matter of fact, just look at Look at verse 10 in, in, this, in this very section of text. It says, this is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. What does that mean, Paul? Well, he gives us zero context, and then after he drops that bomb on us, he just leaves. He just keeps on going uh, with, his, with his argument. So there, there are several little things like that in the text, which makes this uh, difficult to interpret, difficult to apply. Uh, But there's also things in here that we do understand, and they're also difficult to apply. But just look at at verse 3, because while verse 10 is confusing, verse 3 is very clear. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. That is very, very clear. There's no textual confusion there. It it lays out uh, the roles in which God has called us as husbands and wives to walk in uh, and to live in, and it couldn't be more clear. Yet, uh, we get very, very uncomfortable. Many of us do get very, very uncomfortable when we start talking about roles and gender in particular and how that functions uh, within the marriage relationship. And and so I kind of just started, you know, thinking, you know, why does this 
make us so uncomfortable. When we say that wives should submit to their husbands and husbands uh, should lead their wives, why does that uh, kind of set us on edge or make us a bit uncomfortable? I think it's because people falsely assume that submission equals inferiority. People falsely assume that submission equals inferiority when it does not at all. As a matter of fact, if you're taking notes, submission does not equal inferiority, but it means that you are humble and it shows a sign of strength. Okay, so, so as you submit to the role that God has called you to, it does not mean that you're inferior in any way. Rather, it shows uh, that, that you are walking in humility and walking in strength. You see, we, us, us parents in the room, we like it when the Bible uh, calls for our children to be under our submission. Amen? Oh, okay. I like that I, because I can say, uh, I, said, I said, clean your room. And the Bible says that I'm the dad, so clean your room. That, that's, how, that's how that works. We, we like that call from the scriptures when it shows clear authority and distinction in role, i.e. from parent to kid, because we don't let our kids run the house. Amen. So, so what we don't believe is that by placing the child in a role of submission to the parents, that the child is inferior as far as their dignity, value, and worth. In the same way as wives are called to submit to their husbands, in no way uh, does it take away from their dignity, their value, and their worth. Rather, this is the order or the way God has set it up in. Another misconception uh, about submitting to authority is this. If I accept authority, I lose my freedom. That's another misconception. If I submit to authority, I lose my freedom. Everybody likes to be free. No, nobody likes to be told what to do. I, I want to be able to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, whenever I want. I don't want to submit to authority because if I place myself under authority, then I lose my freedom. That is a, a huge misconception. Listen, let me just tell you a really good reason why it's a bad idea for you to be the final authority in your own life. It's a bad idea for you to be the final authority in your own life because nobody has lied to you more than you. Nobody has gotten you into more trouble than yourself. Uh, so, so what we need to do is place ourselves under God's authority. And when we place ourselves under God's authority and in the role that he has given us, that is where we find freedom. It, 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 it's the same way if you, if you say, well, the, a, a train track, you know, that, that's binding. The train can only go where the track goes. That, that's not freedom. That's binding. No, no. If you take the train off of the track, what happens to the train? Well, it absolutely goes nowhere, right? It's, it's, the, it's the same concept of the person flying in the plane who says, I don't want to be under the authority of the pilot, and they jump out of the plane. Well, now they're under the authority of gravity, right? So, so we have to understand that as we walk in the ways that God has set up for us, it's not binding, it, it actually sets us free. If you're taking notes, to embrace God-given authority is where you find true freedom. God has given you a role, God has empowered you to walk in that role, and instead of believing the, the lie that submitting yourself under authority is actually binding, realize that the truth that we discover in scripture is when we submit ourselves to God's authority and the roles that he has given us within our marriage, that's actually where we find freedom because we're going the path that God has for us. The guide rails essentially help us become free. Now, what we discovered last week from verse three in particular is that the Trinity is the model for the married couple. The Trinity is the model for 
the married couple. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. And so what we saw was in the Trinity in itself, what you see is ontological equality, meaning they are of the same being and essence. Jesus is not uh, beneath the Father in any way. He's not a lesser being whatsoever. Jesus is equal with the Father in being, in value, yet Jesus willingly submits himself under the Father. That's why he prays in the garden, not my will, but yours be done because he's submitting himself under the will of the Father, yet he is totally equal with him. So within the constructs of the Trinity, y'all with me this morning? Within the constructs of the Trinity, what we see is ontological equality, yet economic subordination, meaning how the Trinity functions is Jesus places himself underneath the authority of God the Father. That's what we discovered last week. And that is to be a mirror or a picture of how the marriage relationship works. Let me just break this down for us. Here we go. The husband, if you're taking notes, the husband's leadership in the home is to create an optimal environment for growth in every area in the life of his wife and family. The, the, the man is called to be the authority in the home, the leader of the home, the head of his home, and the wife submits. But listen to me very, very carefully. His, his leadership is not bullying. His, the man's leadership in the home is not demanding. The, 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 the man's leadership in the home in no way demeans his wife. It cannot. If it does, it is unbiblical. What the husband's leadership looks like is he is constantly fostering an environment for his wife, for his children, where in every area of their lives they can be optimally growing. His leadership, the man's leadership in the home, looks like how Jesus loved the church. And how did Jesus love the church? Well, he gave up his very life for the church. In addition, the wife helps by filling in the places where he is weak and empowering the family to reach the destination he has set. Which means, gentlemen, we need to have set a destination. Which means, men, we have to have a plan, right? You, you can't lead to a place, to a destination that you have not outlined for, for your wife and for your children. This is the type of family we want to be. These are the type of things that we want to do. Here, here's how we're going to submit ourselves under God together as a family, and this is the direction we're going. And the wife says, absolutely, honey, I'm with you. I'm going to fill in all the areas where you are weak. I'm going to help empower you and the children to get to this destination in which you have set. That's the picture. Amen? Okay. So here's what we're going to see this week. We are going to endeavor uh, to, to get through the rest of this text um, without, uh, you know, people leaving this uh, middle of the sermon. And so we're, we'll be in, in verse 7, but let me just give you the big idea of, of what we're going to discover uh, in the text today. You, you, this is 16 verses on head coverings, okay? Like, well, <laughs> you, you read the thing and you go, what? like, what's happening here? Here's what's happening. The Apostle Paul desperately wants the men in the church and the women in the church to be like Jesus. That's his heart. That's his desire. As they come together to worship, he wants them to be more like Jesus. So beyond the head coverings and the angels and all the long hair and the short hair and the shave your head stuff, what's going on behind all of that is Paul wants to continue to mold and shape them into 
Be more like Jesus. So if, if you're taking notes, here's the big idea where we're going to head today. Women, be like Jesus, who was equal with the Father, yet joyfully submitted to him. Men, be like Jesus, who used his authority over the church to lay his life down for the church. That's what we're going to see here. Gender role, gender distinction, equality, yet submission, all picturing Jesus. That's where we're headed today. So if I lose you with the head coverings and shaving the head stuff, just know it's about Jesus. Amen? Okay. So before we get to our text today, before we get to that, what we have to do is we got to go to Genesis. Can, can, can we go to Genesis this morning? Let's, let's take a trip back to the garden because that's exactly where Paul is going to point us to. He's going to point us in this gender role distinction and how we should worship together as a church family. He, he's not going to make an argument from culture, okay? So church family, we do not base what we think about gender and gender roles based off of what culture says, amen? We base it off what the word of God says. And so instead of Paul pointing to culture, he points back to Genesis. And so let's just go ahead and go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And we are going to go to uh, verse 15. If you've got your Bibles, go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. We know this is the creation account. Uh, Genesis 1 is uh, where we begin the, the creation account. Uh, Genesis chapter 2 is where the, the creation account continues. Genesis chapter 3, it gets real bad. Okay, it gets real bad. You guys know what happens in Genesis chapter 3. But let's, let's look at chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God spoke the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, what we see in the garden is before sin comes in and distorts and corrupts, the man is put in the garden to work the garden. So before sin enters and breaks things, the man is commanded to work. And not only is he commanded to do it, whatever God commands us to do, he will also equip us for. Amen. So he, he is equipping Adam to be in the garden and to produce with his, with his hands. That, that's what he's calling him to do. So if you're taking notes, men are gifted at going out on their own and subduing the world through their work. Men need to work, amen? That's what we're called to do. We, we need to provide for our families. We need to get a job. We need to hold down a job. We need to figure out a career path. This is something that men are called to do. We're called uh, to, to work. Now, in, in 18, look at what it says. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Now, this is, this is very, very interesting. Again, sin comes in in chapter three and distorts things, but we're before the fall, before sin comes in, we're in chapter two, and this just said that something was not good. But, but sin hasn't come into the world yet. So how can him being alone not be good when sin hasn't come into the world yet? Well, because the way in which Adam was created, y'all still with me? The way in which Adam was created, he was created incomplete. 
That's why it wasn't good. So it wasn't, it wasn't not good in the sense that it was sinful or evil, but it was not good in the sense that Adam was actually created incomplete. And as they surveyed all of creation, there was not a helper suitable for him. Verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. (laughs) Why does God ask Adam to name the animals? You ever think about that? Did did God just like run out of creative juices for the day? I'm I'm tired. I I did all this creating stuff, man. Adam, you take it from here. I I don't want to, you know, name these things. You name them. So, so if, if he is called to work and keep the garden, he is given authority over the garden, and by virtue of naming the animals, he is beginning to show the order of creation. God, man, creation. God, man, creation. He is given authority by naming those animals. The man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a man to go into the deep sea, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from man. If you're taking notes, listen to this. Women if men are called to work, and, and this, this is the gifting that men are empowered to, women are more gifted at drawing people together and empowering them to reach their full potential. That, so she completes Adam, and, and she is gifted with drawing people together and helping them reach their... So if you look at this word helper, ladies, you, you, you are called the helper several times in the Bible. If you look at this word helper and you find it demeaning, you're, you're misunderstanding the text. So used to, when I was a little boy uh, in middle school, my dad would take me to job site, construction sites, and the people on the construction site would say, oh, look, he's got a helper today, right? Was I doing any constructing, anything useful? Probably not, okay? So, so if you view the term helper from that lens, you've missed it. But if you understand that the helper is actually uh, blessed with gifts that the man does not have and that she comes in to complete him, then you understand the full beauty of what it means to be called the helper. Not only this, ladies, you know who else is called the helper? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So, this, this, okay, what I want you to see here is I want, you, I want you to see authority and equality. Are you all with me? I want you to see authority, and I want you to see equality. Adam is given authority over Eve by virtue of naming her. She shall be called woman. He names all the animals, and he names her. Now, is she in the created order? Does it go God, man, creation, and Eve is in creation? No, no. She is submissive to him by virtue of his authority over her by naming her. But did you see the equality? Y'all missed the equality. Y'all didn't see it. You see, when when he put Adam to sleep, he did not take the bone out of his head so that she would rule over him, nor did he take the bone out of his foot so so that she would be under his foot. He took the bone out of Adam's side because she is beside him as his companion. 
So, so there is authority and there is also equality. Do you see that? And so this is so important when, when you're understanding this text of, of, of where we need to go and, and what we need to understand. And what happens next in Genesis chapter 3 is, is the inversion of the created order that was just set up. So it goes, God, man, woman, creation. That is the created order. So what happens next in Genesis chapter 3 is the serpent, what, what part, what, where's he at? The serpent is part of creation, communicates to Eve and gets her to take the leadership role that Adam should have taken and therefore inverting the created order to go creation, Eve, Adam, and then God because they ignored God's word. So instead of it going God, man, woman, creation, the snake comes in, the serpent, the devil comes in and inverts the created order so that it goes creation, woman, man, God. And church family, that old devil is still up to those same exact tricks. Don't you see? That's exactly what he's, he's doing. He is trying to get us to worship creation. Um, and, and where men often fail, we do one of two things. In, in the garden, Adam was passive. He was right there with her, and he said and did nothing. She stepped into his leadership role when he should have gone out to the garden shed and got the shovel to chop the head off of the snake. Instead, he stands by and does nothing, and therefore she steps into that leadership role and leads them down a pathway which he follows. And so men will either go one of two ways. We will either be passive or overly aggressive. This is what happens when sin enters into the world. Instead of us being loving and leading and serving our wives, we become either passive, we do nothing, we sit on the couch, we watch the game, we don't get involved, we let them handle it, or we become aggressive and bullying. And this is what happens to the role of men. How sin distorts the role of women is this. Women either become helpless or domineering. Okay, Women become helpless Meaning uh, that there's a sense that, oh, I can't do anything if he doesn't do it for me. Oh, my gosh, there's a puddle. What should I do? Don't worry, honey. I'll throw my jacket over the puddle. You know, you, the, the women can become helpless in the sense that they are the princess in the castle just waiting on the, the prince to ride in and save the day. And if they don't go that route, then, then women go way over here, which is domineering, uh, loud, aggressive. And this is how sin distorts the God-given role of men and women. And so what we need is Jesus, amen? We need to get back to the created order that God uh, has given us. Okay, we've got to get to the text because y'all got me preaching. It's hot in here. I see uh, some, some of y'all got them Baptist fans going on, you know what I'm saying? So what, what we need to do is we need to get to the text before I sweat to death through this jacket. That would be very unsightly for me. So let's do this. Uh, chapter 11 in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm going to jump in at verse 7 because that is where we left off. And so, uh, again, our goal is to get through the rest of this text. And what we need to do, church family, we just went through the Genesis account, okay, creation, fall. We need to keep that text in mind because that's exactly what he's pointing us to. Are y'all with me? Sure. Let's start to do the, the real heavy lifting. Here we go. Verse 7, for a man ought not to cover his head... Since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. <clears throat> Meaning this, men and women are equal, but that does not mean that they are interchangeable. Okay, Men and women are equal, but that does not mean that they are interchangeable. You see, in this culture, the distinction of head covering or scarf or a bun, which we discussed at length last week, was to show 
the place of God was to show the role of a woman and was to show the role of a man. And so that's why uh, he, he is referring here to these headscarves. So in God's creation, in his created order, that is the place for optimal human flourishing. Amen? So when God is in his rightful place, when the man is leading his home the way that he should in a self-sacrificing, uh, Christ-exalting way, when the woman is helping her husband as he sets the course and direction and supports him, when all of that is functioning, that is optimal human flourishing. And where those roles get inverted, where we take God off of his throne, or where the man fails to lead in a loving and sacrificial way, or the wife refuses to help, when that happens, it breaks down. It breaks down. And so he says, for a man ought not to cover his head. He's saying that a man should not cover his head because he is showing the role distinction. Women should cover their heads because it shows their place in created order, God, man, woman. So they cover their head to show that. And the man does not cover his head to show his place in created order, God, man, then, then woman. That's why he's saying that. Verses eight and nine. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Now you understand why we read the Genesis account where Adam is put to sleep and the rib is taken out, so on and so forth. This is exactly what he is explaining. So what does this mean practically? Here's what it means practically if you're taking notes. Men should be masculine. Amen, somebody. Men should be masculine while joyfully and sacrificially walking in the role God gave them, okay? Man and woman were both created in the image of God. In the image of God, he created them both what? Male and female, meaning this, men should be masculine. Now listen to me very carefully. I'm not talking about silly stereotype masculinity. I'm not talking about clown masculinity. I'm talking about real biblical masculinity. Okay, I'm, I'm not talking about you got to like power tools, you got to be into sports, you got to like burp the loudest, you know, you got to punch people. I'm not talking about joke masculinity. I'm talking about real masculinity. What do I mean? I mean defined by the Bible, meaning masculinity is being the protector. Masculinity is being the provider. Amen. If, if you want to impress your lady, protect and provide. They love it. Okay. So, so not only is it protecting and providing, so, so when there's a bump in the night, who goes to check it out? Okay, it's not, hey, honey, let me know how that goes. No, 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 no. The, the man is the protector, the provider. He is humble. Masculinity, if you want to know what truth, it's, it's humility, it's service, it's giving, okay? So men should be masculine, Again, not stereotypical, silly masculine. I'm talking about real masculinity. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about provider, protector, sacrificial, humble, always willing to do the right thing, no matter the cost. That's masculinity. In addition, if you're taking notes, women should be feminine while joyfully and sacrificially walking in the role God gave them. In the same way, we're not talking about silly stereotypical masculinity. We're also not talking about silly stereotypical femininity. She wears too much makeup, tight clothes, presents herself as a sex object, uh, you know, loud and sassy all the time, you know. I'm not, I'm not talking about that type of silly, <laughs> I'm not talking about that, that, that type of silly uh, femininity. I'm talking about true, a, a woman who embraces beauty and modesty, amen. Embraces beauty and modesty. She is gentle and nurturing. She is the Proverbs 31 woman, amen. 
That's, that's what the picture of femininity we are discussing. Verse 10. This is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Okay, now, <laughs> here we go. This is the one you guys have been waiting for. Let's, let's, we're going to do it together. Everybody calm down. Okay, so here we go. Let's, let's take both of those statements. So this is why a, a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. Let's look at that statement, and then let's look at the back half of it because, uh, because of the angels. So, so remember, this is context, context, context. Paul is saying... You guys are not honoring God in how you worship. Here is why. You are not honoring the gender roles assigned to you. That's the context of what he's saying. They were coming together to worship. The women were not covering their heads, which in that culture was a sign of their submission to their husbands and their their submission to God. And so they, they had taken them things off or let their hair down or whatever it was they were doing. And so they weren't honoring God in their worship because they weren't honoring the created order that God had set forth. So this is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. So when he says at the beginning of 10, this is why, that links it to verses 8 and 9. So it's obvious that she receives with joy God's created order. That's why he wants them to have a symbol of authority on their head. Now, again, the context here is that women were doing what during the church service? They were praying and prophesying in the church service. So they wanted it to be clear that this woman who was praying and prophesying in the church joyfully receives what God has given her, her role uh, as the helper to her husband, right? They were what we call at at Gospel Community Church, we call it guarding the mic. Y'all don't know about that, do you? So so at Gospel Community Church, we guard the mic, the, the person who speaks uh, in, in the worship band and leads, the, the person who preaches, the person who gives announcements, we know them, we know their life, we know that they're striving to walk in holiness. We, we don't let just any old body up here to address the, the church family, right? We, we protect the mic, amen? We, we should do that. We should be cautious of who we listen to, who we put ourselves under authority under. And so anybody that from, from giving announcements to preaching the sermon to leading us in worship, we want to know that person. We want to know that person's walking in holiness. We want to know that person is joyfully submitting uh, to the role that God has given them. And so they were doing the exact same thing, and they made it simple by women wearing headscarves. So that's why he says that this, uh, that in verse 10, that this is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, okay? So what in the world do we do with this verse now? Uh, because, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, our, our, our awesome sister, Miss Dovey, just prayed during the church service, and she didn't have anything on her head. What's going on? Did we just disobey the Bible? Oh, you guys don't know. Okay, well, um, <laughs> no, no, we didn't. Okay, in this culture, wearing a headscarf was a symbol that you were placing yourself under the authority of God and under the authority of your husband. If you came into Gospel Community Church today with a scarf on your head, we would not assume that you were making a statement about your role in submission to your husband and to God. We would assume you have a bad hair day. We, we, we would assume that you were making a fashion statement or, or something of the sort. We would not assume that that's what you were saying. So then, what are we to do with verse 10? Well, we adopt the principle and we change the method. Okay, and from verse 10... We adopt this principle, yet we change 
the method, meaning uh, women in the church should be dressed modestly. They should look feminine. Men in the church should look like men. Women in the church should look like women. We should joyfully receive the role that God has given us. Now, if you, if you find that answer insufficient, that we're, we're adopting the principle and not the method, we do this with other things in the New Testament. I'll give you an example. The New Testament repeatedly tells us to greet one another with what? A holy kiss. Hey, I, look, I ain't kissing y'all, okay? Uh, first off, we're in the middle of a pandemic, so I ain't, the only people I'm kissing is my wife and my little girls, okay? I'm not kissing you. In addition to that, if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic, in our culture, that's strange. If, if I'm at the back door and everybody that comes out is like, mwah, mwah, no, no. First off, that, that weirds me out, and I'm not going to do that. And that would weird you out, too. Like I, like, I have a personal bubble space, and I don't like people in my personal bubble space. And so, like, I'm, I'm just out on that deal. But we, we keep the principle, which is we are a loving church family in a community, right? We, we do a fist bump, a side hug. Right, that's, that's how we greet one another with a holy kiss. We, we do it like from over here though, okay? You see what I'm saying? So, so we have things like this that, that culturally are different and so we adopt the principle yet change the method. I, I bet if you were to go to some European countries where they go up and they do the kiss on the either side of the cheek, they would, they would be fine with that. But that, that's not how we do things here in the South, thank God. Now, Let's look at now this next section of verse 10. This is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. All right, now I'm gonna give you uh, three options. Uh, I think the third one is the right one and the best one, but I'll give you the other two the commentators fight over, okay? The first one is this. Who in here is reading an ESV? You're reading an ESV. In your ESV, there is a footnote there. Okay, we're going to get down in the footnotes today. Amen. Glory to God. Footnotes. Here we go. If you're reading an ESV, you'll see that there is a footnote there that will push you down into the footnotes at the bottom, and you'll see that the word for angel is the word for messenger. Messenger. So the, some commentators argue this. We're not talking about angelic beings at all. We're talking about people that have come from other places that are, that are messengers to the church. Maybe they, they're bringing letters from Paul. And so they, maybe they've come from Jerusalem and they walk into this church at Corinth and here's all these women and they got their hair down. You know, they ain't got no head coverings and, and they're going, man, these women are rowdy up in here. This is not a good look. And so these human messengers that are coming from other churches find it very inappropriate that these women are acting this way. So he says, they ought to have something on their head because of these other human messengers that are coming from other churches. Now, I don't, I don't think that's, that, that's a possibility, but I don't think so. Here's another one. One commentator said uh, that the reason that they need to wear head coverings because of the angels is because uh, Paul doesn't want the angels to lust. And, and these women are being you know, inappropriate, and it might cause the angels to lust. And that's why, again, I find that very weird because... The, like, if you're talking about angels lusting, you would have to be talking about fallen angels. And why are fallen angels in the church service where they're proclaiming the gospel and honoring Jesus? I, just, I, couldn't, I couldn't put that together. So here's what uh, I think works best. Hebrews 1.4 tells us that angels are sent to serve us um, as Christians, as, as we go on about our Christian walk, 
That angel, again, Hebrews 1.14 tells us that angels are sent to service so that as we gather in worship, there is a real presence of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that, that I don't know if you believe this or not, but the Bible tells us that angels are amongst us even now ready for us to glorify and praise the name of Jesus. They're here to help and, and serve us as we do that. And angels are the ones that love God's created order. And so to see these women flaunting in the face of God, God's created order, the angels didn't like that too much. And so he's saying, for the sake of the angels who love God's created order, that it should go God, man, woman, creation, the angels love that. So for their sake, cover your head. I think, I think that's the best interpretation, but I don't know, okay? I, I don't. Um, but here's what I do know. Whether or not I'm right on because of the angels thing changes zero of the meaning of the rest of the text, okay? So, uh, just go to sleep tonight, not being worried about it. It, it, it. If if you like option one, you like option two or three, it doesn't change the the, the pure and in, in final meaning of the text. So deal with it. Verse eleven. <clears throat> Nevertheless, okay, he's been going on verse after verse after verse, insisting on this created order of God, man, woman, creation. But he's going to give a caveat here. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made for man, the Adam and Eve story, as woman was made for man, so man is now born of a woman, and all things come from God. So he, while he is insisting that there are gender distinctions and gender roles, he's also saying, hey, let's not take this too far. Men, are, men and women are equal in dignity, value, and worth. So before you go thinking that, that women are inferior, not as smart, or not like, no, 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 you're absolutely wrong. Look at how it's set up. First off, women came from man in the sense that she was taken from, from Adam's side. But now, now every man in this room, you are here because of your mama, okay? You, you had to come through a woman in order to exist. So so just because there are different roles does not mean there are different values. In addition, what he wants to insist on is that the husband and wife are one flesh, meaning among many other things, that they are interdependent on each other. Amen? Husbands and wives are interdependent upon each other and should reflect that. The diversity and the unity between the sexes comes from God in his sovereign plan. That's why he says at the end, and all things come from God. Amen. Okay, verse 13. We're almost going to do it. Verse 13. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? He, he thinks that this is clear. This is, this is a cut and dry thing. The, the, the head covering in that culture showed that they were submissive to their husbands and to God, and so it was inappropriate for them to pray with their head uncovered. So he says, judge for yourselves. This should be clear. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Verse 14, now, <laughs> it, gets, it gets difficult here, so just hang with me. Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, is a disgrace for him? Okay, are y'all still with me? The, the kids aren't too wiggly? Okay, here, here's, here's what I want you to hear. This, this is my opinion on this text, and you can take it or leave it. Again, whether I'm right or wrong here doesn't change the full meaning of the text. I don't think the Apostle Paul cares about hair length. Now you're going, but the text just said, if a man wears long hair, is a disgrace for him. 
Stay with me. Here's why I don't think the Apostle Paul cares about the length of your hair. First off, the Apostle Paul is not a legalist, meaning he is not going to require that the elders of the church have measuring tapes and stand at the back and go, oh, nope, you got it. nope, you're out, man. Go take an, you need to cut at least an inch off or you can come in here. It doesn't have to do, from the context of the text, I don't think it has to do with the actual length because it doesn't give us inches here. It has to do with hair style, meaning he is insisting that gender distinction be clear. So I think, I think what he's getting at is that men's hair should not look like women's hair. Women's hair should look feminine and should look like women's hair, and dude's hair should look like dude's hair. And he's making the argument from, uh, okay, just look at it. He says, uh, does not nature itself teach you? So in most cultures, in most places, are there outliers? Are there exceptions? Yes, absolutely. But in most places, in most culture, even in this very room right now, most dudes have long hair or short hair, short hair. And most ladies have longer hair. Most dudes in the room have shorter, key right there. Most dudes in the room have shorter hair, and most ladies in the room have longer hair. He is insistent on keeping the gender distinction. So that, that's why I think, it, so, so ladies' hair needs to look like ladies' hair, and dudes' hair needs to look like dudes' hair. Because if a dude, uh, if a dude looks like a lady, he's saying, that is shameful. Dude looks like a lady. Now, verse 15, but if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For her hair is given to her for a covering. Again, this is, we're, we're, we're getting, we're going to make it. We got one more verse, church family, after we do this one, okay? Y'all still with me? So, so some people, again, believe that the actual scarf didn't exist and that, that really the covering itself was long hair. But again, I disagreed with that last week and said it really didn't square uh, with the rest of the text. I think verse 15 is saying this, because she has long, glorious hair, Hair that says that she cheerfully and gladly accepts her role as a woman and a wife, she should cover it. That, that's what I think verse 15 is saying. I have read verse 16 and laughed at the beginning statement about 30 times this week. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, <laughs> that's funny to me, okay? Uh, because the Apostle Paul knows that there are people in the church at Corinth that wanted to be contentious about this issue. Church family, there are people in our culture that want to be contentious about this issue, amen? As soon as we start to talk about gender roles, gender distinctions, uh, that the husband should be a sacrificial, laying his life down type leader, the wife should come alongside him and support him and help him, right? As soon as we start talking about that, people become very contentious. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice. He says, don't be contentious. Why? Well, because it's not happening in any of the other churches. He's saying it's universally accepted in the churches that this is God's created order, creation, man, woman, uh, God, sorry, got that backwards. Um, the, the, the created order goes God, man, woman, creation. That's accepted in all the churches. And so this little subgroup there in Corinth was being contentious. And he says, don't be contentious about this. This, this is the way that God has it, has it set up. Okay, can you believe that we did it? I'm shocked and, and in awe that we got through verse 16. Uh, no one threw anything at me or left. So I, th I think that's a plus. Again, what is the deal with him taking all of this time? 
As, as I told you last week, this whole section from chapter 11, 12, 13, and 14 makes up one big unit about how to worship together in, in the context of a local church body. And he spends 16 verses talking with them about head coverings. Again, what's the deal? Well, I already told you, the deal is he wants them to become more like Jesus. Do you want to be more like Jesus? Yeah. So this is, his, this is his focus. If you're taking notes, last thing I'll say, and then, then I'm out of your hair. Women, be like Jesus, who was equal with the Father, yet joyfully submitted to him. Time and time again in the Gospel of John, you see Jesus repeatedly saying, I, I'm only going to do what the Father tells me to do. I'm, I'm, I'm about the will of my father. He keeps saying that. He keeps, even though he's absolutely equal, he defers to the father's authority. In addition, men, men, be like Jesus who used his authority over the church to lay down his life for the church. And so women should be rejoicing because of the type of leadership that men are called to, Amen. Ladies, you should be excited about this. This should not be contentious. This shouldn't set you on edge. This shouldn't make you bristle. This shouldn't irritate you that you have to submit to your husband. You should, you should look at this and, and, and be filled with joy because of the type of leadership that your husband is called to. He is called to sacrifice his life for you. Husbands are called to build their homes in such a way for your women, your optimal flourishing, so that you're loving Jesus as much as you can love Jesus, so that you're successful if, if you're working in a, in a business so, so that you are enjoying being a mother. That should be, men, that should be one of our main things on top of our mind. Is my wife enjoying being a mother? If the answer is no, she's always irritated. Well, men, get to work. Let's figure out how to help our women grow. Let, let's, let's step in. I, I wonder, men, if you, if you answer this question truly from your heart this morning, men, is your wife flourishing under your leadership or is she languishing? Is your wife flourishing under your leadership or is she languishing? This is the call, men. We, we need to create environments in our home that when we read passages like this, when we read Ephesians chapter five, where, where we're, we're called, where the wives are called to submit to their husbands and the husbands are called to lead their wives. When we read passages like that, we need to have created such an environment in our homes that our wives don't bristle at, at these scriptures, that our wives don't bristle at these verses. Rather, they, they embrace them with joy because you are creating an environment of flourishing in your home. Women, be like Jesus. He submitted. But you say, what, what? My man ain't, you know, he, he hadn't earned it yet. He probably never will, ladies, but it does not change the created order, whether he earns it or not. Men, it's time for us to step up, ask questions, dive deep, be a student of our wives. Let's learn them so that they can flourish. Listen, because that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. He knew what our needs were. He knew that our ultimate need was for him to die in our place for our sins. And so Jesus goes to the cross laying down his very life for us so that we might have life in him. Amen. Men, let's be like Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we have discovered beautiful things in your word, things that are hard to understand, things that are hard to apply, um, things that convict us, things that challenge us. But Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray for the marriages and Gospel Community Church that they would flourish, uh, that men with joy would accept the role that you have given them. 
uh, to be the leaders of their home, to ask questions, to communicate well with their wives, to discover the needs uh, that are expressed, the needs that are unexpressed, and to do something about them. Lord, I pray for the women in the church who would joyfully submit to their husbands because their husbands are being like Jesus. May that be so of Gospel Community Church. I pray now for uh, marriages in the room that uh, are wounded, that um, are in need of healing. Lord, would you send that healing now? Lord, would you, would you give those marriages that are in need, would you give them the courage to speak up and to speak out, to know that we are not, we are not a church of perfect marriages. We have marriages in this church and on the stage speaking right now that need work and that this is a safe place to say, my marriage needs help. Would you let us know that, Lord? And, and would you help these people reach out, Lord? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.